Welcome to The Vegan Optimist, a podcast spreading positivity and optimism about the future of veganism. This is episode 5 with special guest Kimberly Carroll, a coach for changemakers, animal activists, and the director of the Animal Justice Academy, among so many other things. Hey, it's Ryan, and I want to welcome you to the Vegan Optimist podcast, a place of learning focused on positive developments in all things vegan. Before I bring on my special guests, I wanted to share some exciting news and a great quote I came across. They're Trying to Kill Us, a movie screening June 19th, addresses, quote, food access and food deserts, nutritional and environmental racism, diet-related diseases, racial disparities of disease, government corruption, animal cruelty, climate change, and ultimately how the influence of hip-hop will save the world. I'm so excited to watch this movie to view through another lens of how moving towards a plant-based lifestyle can help humanity. To watch the trailer and learn more about the film, visit they'retryingtokillus.com. Now for the quote. I'd like to share something an American physician named Michael Greger has said. The most ethical diet just so happens to be the most environmentally sound diet and just so happens to be the healthiest. This quote reminds me that being kind to others is being kind to ourselves. Veganism not only helps save animals, but our fellow humans and our environment as well. Lastly, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider liking it, leaving a positive review, and sharing it to help the podcast grow. Now, I'm super excited to share the conversation I had with Kimberly Carroll. So, Kimberly, how about we start off with you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, it's so good to be here with you, Ryan. Uh, you're just, you're, you have a really great vibe. Um, I got to sort of first meet you through the Animal Justice Academy that I'm the direct, director of. And, and even through your writing, I knew right away that you, you, uh, you were, you were a good person. You're a good, good soul. So, um, okay. So what do I do? Um, I wear quite a few hats. <laughs> I'll start with the one that makes me my uh, living. And that is um, I'm a coach for change makers. So I work with um, social entrepreneurs and activists and mission-driven leaders, you know, nonprofit, political, whatever, um, to do the, the important inner work and the high performance habits and develop the strategies um, to really take people and their missions to the next level. So that is um, my full-time gig. Uh, and then I have a couple of part-time gigs. Uh, I, I uh, am a board member with Animal Justice, um, the group that leads uh, the legal fight for animal protection in Canada. And I'm also a campaign strategist with them. And then um, in this last year, I took on another project. I mean, I take on different projects with Animal Justice, but I took on a really big one called Animal Justice Academy, which is... Um, a community and uh, learning um, collective, basically, to help empower um, advocates for animals. So people who love animals, how to give them the tools and the support to actually be able to make uh, tangible changes for animals. So um, yeah, so that's an ongoing, um, the academy is ongoing. Uh, It started with a uh, a real blast with the first six week boot camp, and uh, and now we we keep going with um, regular live events 
and collective actions. And then one of my other um, hats I wear is a, a director of the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank. So with my partner, Matt Noble, um, we uh, basically give groceries to uh, vegetarians, vegans, those who are transitioning to a veg diet who are living under the poverty line. So we um, serve vegan, um, you know, obviously cruelty-free, environmentally friendly and healthy um, groceries for folks in need. That's amazing. That is a lot of hats. You got yeah, that, that, that is a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm not even wearing a hat today. And there <laughs> So what was your journey to veganism? What started it all? Yeah, what led you to be the position you're in right now? Oh, well, way back when I was a baby in the, no, well, I, it does go <laughs> a long way back, Ryan, but I, I won't, I won't spend too much time on this, but, um, I, uh, I'm an, I was an animal lover from the, the first moment I remember. I just adored animals. I just found them, uh, almost easier to, to relate to than, than people. Uh, and, and I have always found, uh, animals have been great teachers for me, lessons of presence and, um, uh, just, I mean, uh, the connection that they have to, uh, their sort of, I'll call it universal nature. It's, um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and, I also was uh, somebody who grew up in uh, the prairies, sort of rural Manitoba area where uh, the farming community is, is really strong. And so I had a, a childhood of, of like loving animals, but also eating a lot of meat. In fact, I was a voracious meat eater. I People used to make fun of me for how much I loved meat. Uh, I loved steak. I loved KFC. I mean, I was like unusually <laughs> loved meat. Um, and so I love meat so much. And, and when it started to click that meat was animals, um, I, the cognitive dissonance began at a very young age. And, uh, you know, of course I was in a, a society where, um, when I would bring up those concerns, I would get told by everybody that's ridiculous. You know, this is just the way things are. And because I really love meat, I took that as the gospel and would continue on. So it wasn't until I was in my, um, it was 25 years ago and I was a young adult and I finally came face to face with this, this um, conflict that I, I'd had since a fairly early age. It, I just came face to face in an, it, uh, it, with it in a way that I just couldn't deny it any longer. And I, I was at a friend's um, place at their farm for um, just after calving season. So there were these twin calves and I spent all day just with the twin calves, just loving them up and uh, and just, they were the, they're the sweetest things ever. Oh my God, calves are just beautiful beings. And, um, and so I just went in with a glow in my face, you know, inside when we went in for dinner and I sat down and um, they were serving my favorite steak. <laughs> and I guess I just couldn't avoid it anymore. I just, it just slapped me in the face. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, Kimberly, it's time, like your ethics can be stronger than your appetite. And yeah, in that moment, my love of, of uh, animals became a little stronger than my love of meat. And it became more and more and more and more. And uh, I went veg, I went vegetarian at that point. There was no internet at just, you know, I'm very much aging myself, but there was no internet at that point. So I didn't know what was happening in the egg and the dairy industry. I mean, mm -hmm. most 
immediately around me were were grain farmers who did you know had had uh, livestock on the side, so they were doing small scale farming. I had no idea the industrial egg and dairy farming, and so when the internet happened, <laughs> and um, and I also some of the films like Earthlings and Peaceable Kingdom came out. Uh, I saw those and I had, I had to become vegan. Um, and then I also became an activist. So I became vegan and a, a real activist at the same time. I'd sort of been dabbling a little bit. Like I spoke up about it. I, you know, I definitely was a proponent for um, animal rights, but I didn't like get super active until like 15 years ago. And then, um, and then, I mean, I started off in grassroots activism, uh, holding it as many signs as I could and in as many places as possible. Uh, then I started to kind of use some of my particular talents to apply to my activism, something that I like to teach as, as a coach and in Animal Justice Academy. Um, so I got a little bit smarter about how I did my activism, mm -hmm. started doing, um, being a spokesperson for a lot of things, um, hosting events. Uh, and then I sort of took, uh, I forgot to say that I, I, I used to be a television host and a producer. So for most of my adult life, I was on television and I also was a producer. So um, I decided to take my talents in production and, and marketing and, and put that towards um, uh, animal activism as well. So my very first big um, activism, animal activism campaign was something called Why Love One But Eat the Others. And it was a subway ad campaign that ran back in 2009 and ended up running for years in Toronto, across Canada and different parts of the world. So that was that was a really cool way to start and to see, wow, one person like that doesn't know what the hell they're doing can actually do pretty good. <laughs> so it made me, you know, continue. Um, uh, I helped found a, an, a, an organization called Mercy for Animals Canada. We were the first ones in Canada to, to do undercover investigations in Canada. Mm -hmm. So that was huge. And then I went on to um, Animal Justice, where I've um, helped with some, you know, really um, awesome campaigns. I work with a really wonderful team. And now we have this Animal Justice Academy. So I told you I'm a talker, Ryan. That <laughs> <laughs> no, amazing. I'd love to hear that. So I... Uh, a lot of people struggle explaining like why people should move towards a vegan lifestyle. If you had to kind of go almost like in business, we use this term a lot, like an elevator pitch. Yes. So if you had to give an elevator pitch of why people should move towards a vegan lifestyle, what would it be? Well, you know, I, I often just think there is just every reason to be vegan and no reason not to be. Um, I like to talk about the trifecta, okay? Um, th there's three, like there's a lot of things, but there's three major things that mm. I always come back to. Um, and that is um, the ethical component uh, with the animals. Um, veganism allows you to opt out of a habit and a system that causes um, 70 billion land animals a year to suffer and die. Never mind the trillions of marine lives that are, uh, you know, are killed, um, are ended. Uh, and and um, then the second piece is that eating plant-based is one of the most powerful actions an individual can take for the environment. Now, that's really important because especially with the environmental, you know, catastrophe that is growing, um, we're feeling more and more disempowered, I think, as, as individuals in a society because our governments aren't, you know, moving fast enough, our corporations aren't moving fast enough. Now, here is this 
this one action and you know it's not it's not a simple action um but it's it's an action that we can fully take and 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 the effect that that you know that our personal footprint uh how it affects our personal footprint is just enormous okay it's enormous so it's it's a huge thing that we can do uh, that we have the power to do as far as environmentalism and the third thing of course is that eating a plant-based um, mostly whole foods diet just happens to be one of the healthiest diets there is out there for humans so um, and then you can add on to that uh, you know I know this is more than a trifecta but you come you know get into um, uh, um, the safety of, of workers in the industry you get into the zoonotic diseases in this pandemic I mean, there's just so many reasons to be vegan right now. Um, and um, that's not much of an elevator pitch, but but that those the trifecta is what I, I always come back to. I don't know. I'm sold. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't think you needed much selling, though. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about your coaching programs and like what got you started about the different programs that you offer? Yeah, sure. Um, so. So my my journey to coaching was pretty long and winding. Uh, like I said, I, I, I spent a, a huge part of my life as, as a television host um, and producer. So in media, I, I basically sold my soul to television for the, you know, for about 15 years. And then I felt like I had to earn it back somehow. <laughs> Um, I've always been a seeker. I've always been interested in, in the big questions, you know, why am I here? You know, what is this all about? Uh, how should we be in the world? Um, not, I'm not saying I found any of those answers necessarily, but I've done a great job of exploring them. And, um, and so that led me to my own personal path of, of just, um, exploration, uh, you know, really, really trying to find my own sort of peace, really trying to find my own identity. And um, eventually, that spilled over that so much that I felt like I couldn't do television anymore, that what I couldn't do a work that didn't um, address this, that wasn't involved in this. And, um, and so I was planning on doing um, television programming around body, mind and spirit. Uh, and, and I started um, really doing a lot of research and working with a lot of people, interviewing a lot of people. And in my journey, uh, I ended up sort of falling into coaching. I did, I did um, coaching training with an, an amazing author and healer called uh, Denise Lynn. And, uh, and I never planned on becoming a coach. This, it was completely an accident. Uh, and once I started coaching, I just, I saw, especially as I was having this concurrent journey of becoming an activist, um, I really saw how as people heal their, their um, capacity for compassion, their, compass their capacity to look beyond their inner circles and to actually care about the world, including animals, including um, uh, you know, other marginalized groups, including the environment, um, it, it expanded so much. And so I guess I, I, I got really um, fascinated by the idea of transformations in people and, and what that could mean to the world. Like, frankly, I feel like if everybody had done the work that, that I do with people, if everybody in this world did that kind of work, we wouldn't need activists because the world would just be a, a much better place. A world, the world wouldn't be um, sort of driven by fear, um, by um, pain. Um, and, I mean, there will always be pain in the world, but uh, when you know what to do with pain and how to work with it and process it, it's not something that has to rule your life. 
Um, so, so that was what sort of got me on the road of coaching. And then because I was an activist as well, uh, and, and very, you know, very active in the animal rights community, uh, environmental communities, indigenous communities, whatever, you know, uh, I started working with a lot of activists. And, uh, and I had to also go through as an activist to really learn how I could be resilient and enduring as an activist. And, and I realized most other activists are having the same problems I had. Um, and so I started teaching those and I started working specifically with people that are trying to make the world a better place. So that's where the coach for change makers came from, uh, was this idea that, uh, I, I love, I love working with people to, to make them into change makers. I love that work as well, but I, I was really felt like I was being called by the people that are starting to do this work or are doing this work and that we need to keep strong and we need to make them as effective as possible. Like they're so compared to the general population, Ryan, of this earth, there are so few people that are doing this work that are, are activists uh, and especially animal activists. And so the ones that are, we need to make them into the most powerful, loving, you know, sort of uh, forces that, that they can be. And, and so, yeah, so that's what I wanted to take on. I, I wanted to help um, I wanted to help make these, um, these people, their lights shine brighter, um, help to ignite them so that they can better light the world. Um, and so I work with, I work with people one-on-one, -on -one. I do group programs. Um, I'm working on a huge, um, online, new online program called Changemakers Ignite. Um, that'll be coming up in a few months. Uh, and I hope to really, you know, take people through a, a really deep, um, transforming journey around this. Uh, and yeah, so like I said, I, I, we work on both those sort of inner um, uh, wellness, tangible sort of levels, um, transformative levels, but, uh, and then we apply that to the outer world, um, you know, what are, how to make habits and make you more productive, uh, resilient, uh, effective, um, and strategy, the kind of strategies that you can use to really um, take your mission to where you want it, want it to be. That's amazing. I'm personally inspired. <laughs> um, so this is actually also a perfect segue as well. So you were talking about like making activists um, as strong as possible mm -hmm. and reach their full potential. Are there qualities that you think make a great activist? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And these aren't qualities that people have to have right off the bat, but they're definitely things that they, they need to cultivate. Um, so uh, I mean, one of, one of the obvious things is compassion. Um, you know, one has to have the ability to look at another being, whether that be a human or non-human animal, um, uh, and be able to feel, you know, like have, have some sense of, of, you know, what their pain might be or what their joy might be or what their experience might be. I mean, we're never going to know how, um, a pig feels or, um, we're never going to know that, but we can at least try to extend our, our, you know, open our hearts to, um, entertain the idea, um, of, of what people might be experiencing and that, that, that they experience a whole universe, uh, a unique, unique universe inside of them. And so, um, so that sense of compassion is super important. And, and I think that seems obvious to people, but the compassion 
to be an effective activist has to go beyond those that we are caring about. They have to actually go to our opponents as well. You know, the people that are posing um, maybe what we're doing, what we're trying to do as activists. Um, because, you know, again, especially as animal activists, um, the only way that we're going to be successful is to have a, a world where everybody is an animal advocate, okay? Uh, you know, we talk, um, Tommy Raskin, the late Tommy Raskin talked about, um, I want to, uh, I don't, I want to believe, uh, I don't want to belong to a vegan club, I want to belong to a vegan world. Um, and so, so the idea is that our opponents can't be our opponents if we're going to have that world. You know, they, we have to eventually find a way to open up their minds and their hearts in order to um, have this connection, um, in order to be able to extend their circle of compassion. Until that happens, you know, we are not gonna have a vegan world. We're not going to have a world where there's no, you know, uh, where humans don't cause animal suffering. And so, yeah, so, so compassion um, also, also has to include bridge building skills, okay? Yeah. Um, and that does not mean that we are not um, bold and that we do not, you know, like take, um, you know, loud and bold action in, in, uh, in our issues. It just means, um, and it doesn't mean that we don't oppose people. It just means that we always do it with some understanding and tenderness in our hearts that um, even some of the worst you know, opponents, some of the people that just make you want to ah, <laughs> cover your eyes and scream. Um, they are, uh, they're probably doing it because they're in fear or they're in pain on some level. And so that understanding that nobody's a monster, everybody is, is doing their best from their level of consciousness and capability. And sometimes that doesn't seem uh, believable, but it's true. If they could do better, they would. <laughs> um, and again, that's not an excuse that doesn't let people off the hook. That doesn't mean that you don't, again, stand up strongly um, and, and, and do what needs to be done to uh, move the world forward in, in, uh, in the way that needs to, it needs to move. But you always do it with uh, not hate in your heart, but understanding and love in your heart. Um, so I, I'm sure you've heard the quote uh, from Martin Luther King uh, Jr. that says, um, hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that, you know, so it, it's that sort of sense of um, if we want to have a compassionate world that 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 uh, respects and cares for animals, we need to find a way in every day to live that world from a place of love and not hate. I love that. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, another, another thing can I mention? Um, yeah, for sure. Obviously, one of the qualities that is so important is boldness and courage, mm -hmm. um, you know, willing to break the status quo, you know, and that's hard to do for, you know, even the rebels, those of us that consider ourselves rebels, it's still hard to do because it's letting go of when you break the status quo, you're letting go of old habits you're letting go of ways of thinking, which can be very hard. We'll fight like hell to hang on to what makes us feel safe and like we're right. Um, it can um, uh, force us to let go of relationships. It can even force us to let go of our identity. So, so that's, that's an important thing that there has to be a sense of boldness and courage. Um, but that doesn't have to be innate. That can come with just being so connected to your mission, your why. 
um, that that it just naturally flows again from that place of love. Um, so so one of the other things I say is uh, to be an effective activist is to continue to connect to the love of your why. Okay. Who are, who are you loving so much? What are you loving so much that it's important to, um, uh, to break the status quo? It's important to, uh, to shake things up. That's great. We learn it also like in business, um, start with a why. And I guess that could also be transferred to activism, pretty much anything that you want to make change for. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love that. So. I have some fun lightning round questions. Okay. I'm not going to talk about it, but focus and resilience are two other qualities that Pete, that, that activists really need to need to cultivate as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> okay. Lightning round. <laughs> Perfect. So what is your favorite food of all time? Mm, my favorite food of all time. Oh gosh. I, so I think. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I know this is really hard for me. Okay. So remember how I said, I loved meat so much. I think it was the reason I had such a craving for meat was actually because I really love protein. Okay. Like my body loves and craves protein. So, so once I realized that and I, and I now just eat a lot of protein, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I feel great. I feel great as long as I have protein It never, it didn't never had to be meat protein, uh, it, it, but just protein in general. So anything that is like tofu, seitan, like anything that's got that, like sort of real dense protein thing <laughs> to it. I love, you know, I, I love it. So like, I love a seitan steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do have to say, I kind I, I kind of have the, the, you know, like I love a, a vegan cheesecake too. That, that's mm -hmm. that as far as a dessert goes, <laughs> I, 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 I could go for that pretty well anytime. <laughs> what is your favorite animal? Oh, my favorite animal. Um, I, I just, Ryan, I can't play favorites. That's like <laughs> asking me what my favorite child is. That's like, <laughs> choice um well i mean i my my babies are my 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 family members my friends are, are cats um but they're not necessarily my favorite i just i just happen to adopt ones that i just love um i so yeah i don't know i mean i i, I love the gentler uh animals like deer and um deers i should say um and uh, uh rabbits but i also love the ferociousness i love the energy of like um uh white tigers uh and uh, you know i love the playfulness of, of of the canines of the wolves and the coyotes and so that was not at all lightning uh, fast because i just can't i don't have a favorite animal <laughs> bottom line i'm trying to skirt the question i don't have a favorite animal. <laughs> so soy oat or almond milk oh god definitely soy milk Oh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, absolutely. High in protein, low in fat. Um, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> you just ordered a black bean burger. Was it mild, spicy, or extra spicy? It was, it would have been spicy. spicy. I'm always medium. Yeah, no, no, I'm not, definitely not big spice. I, I grew up in the middle of the prairies, Ryan. We had no spice. <laughs> pepper, table pepper was as spicy as it got. <laughs> As a coach, what are three things you believe everyone should do more? Um, uh, they should move more. 
Like uh, I, I, I'm a big proponent of processing um, pain. So we all have pain every day, um, whether that's emotional pain from seeing, uh, you know, animals being hurt or somebody not understanding something or something, uh, you know, or, or, or a, a really sort of personal hurt. Um, and I believe just getting into our body and feeling that pain and moving in it, like put on a song. Like if you're feeling rage, put on some rage against the machine, you know, blast it and, and just like, you know, get it through your body, get it in your body, like feel it. And then like release it, use movement. We don't, we get stuck in our heads and we don't realize we have a, an entire body where all of our thoughts are turning into feelings and, and they're getting stuck there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I say move. Um, I, honestly, I, I know people hate to hear this, but some type of mindfulness practice, um, believe me, meditation is something I have tried and, uh, for, you know, to avoid for years. Uh, I struggled with it, um, uh, but it's something I do every day. I need it. It's, uh, it's something that, that brings me back to my home base and in my home, the home of myself, I can handle almost anything. That's where my resilience is. Um, and the third thing, um, joy, play. Yeah, every, every day you've got to find a place, a way to play, okay? Because joy and play is what refuels us as humans. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, especially as activists, we get so we can get so serious, we can get to be workaholics. Um, and it's all about what's wrong with the world. Um, you need to be reminded of what's right in the world. And you know, what is joyful, uh, in order to keep your um, uh, endurance in order to, you know, keep your sense of expansiveness in the work we do. Would you rather a good book or a movie? Mm, both. <laughs> I both honestly if I'm really tired a movie but on, on a Sunday afternoon nothing better than a book and wine or beer wine wine although I'm getting into the sours a lot lately the beers <laughs> yeah so I I mean that was I had to think for a second but yeah no white uh wine and a bucket list vacation destination um, you know what? I have been a, quite a few places, but uh, a place I haven't been is Thailand. And I just guess I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to experience the, the beaches in Thailand. And I, I, I spent a couple of months in India. I've, I've wanted to, I, it's been a long time. I'd really like to go back to India as well. Not right now, <laughs> but I, I would like to eventually go back to India. And name three things you love. Three things I love. Mm. I love laughter. I really like to laugh. Um, I love the wide open sky. It really sort of frees me up, even in the middle of a stupid day. Um, and uh, yeah, I love, uh, I love my, I mean, this is so obvious, but of course, I mean, I love my family and friends. I just have the best people in the world um, surrounding me. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. What is your favorite quote? So my favorite quote, and, and uh, you know what, I actually have so many favorite quotes. So I chose one specially for this program. Um, it's Erendate uh, Roy, and it is, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. That's amazing. Oh. And it took a lot of restraint not to use a Rumi quote, because Rumi is my absolute favorite. <laughs> I had to go with Aaron Dante. <laughs> and lastly, for the lightning round questions, optimism or pessimism? Oh God, absolutely optimism. 
if, if, if not because I, I necessarily think that we live in a benevolent universe or any of that stuff, but because mm-hmm. being an optimist, you get a hell of a lot more done <laughs> as an optimist. You have hope to actually change things and make them better. So I will, mm-hmm. I will definitely, um, be a half full person, but I have to practice that, Ryan. I have to, yeah. I, I was born off. Uh, I was born as a pessimist. Actually, I was shaped as a pessimist, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my earlier years. Um, and, uh, and I always have, you know, I always did sort of look at my natural instinct is to look at the glass half empty. So mm-hmm. I've had to really practice that. Mm-hmm. I think oh. we all do. I, I have a podcast called the vegan optimist and, yeah. I, need <laughs> and I need to work on it. stuff. That's awesome. (laughs) Work in progress. Uh, So it's been great having you as my guest today. Uh, So why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? Absolutely. Um, They can find me at KimberlyCarroll.com. That's where um, all of my coaching programs reside. And I also would invite anybody to come and join the Animal Justice Academy. So that's at AnimalJusticeAcademy.com. It's a free program. Um, And once you get in there, you can do our um, six-week boot camp curriculum at whatever pace you want to. Plus you get um, exposure to live events and a whole community of really loving animals advocates uh, really effective powerful and loving animal advocates so it's it's a pretty cool place to be and now i have one last question for you yes. so you are on a podcast called the vegan optimist yes. are you optimistic about the future of veganism and if yes why oh absolutely i mean as you heard i've been veg for 25 years and in the last five years the changes the growth has been exponential um, it's just, I think in the world right now, there is just a, an awakening happening on so many social justice, um, levels. Uh, but so, so, you know, we're another social justice issue that time is coming. Um, and I also think that, um, because of the environmental, um, again, the, the environmental catastrophe we're facing, um, it's putting, uh, the animal issues and veganism, animal agriculture into, um, the spotlight as well. Uh, and I also think that, um, cultured meat, cultivated meat, uh, clean meat um, is is probably, it's just going to be a game changer. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, of course, I wish that everybody would just love animals enough to go vegan. Um, but uh, I want animals to stop suffering in the next, like now, not in 100 years. So um, the idea of cultured or cultivated meat, clean meat, um, is really a way that this could be fast tracked, like we never, ever imagined. Perfect. I love that. And um, thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, I can't wait to share it with the listeners. Oh, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> so good to talk to you.